Hello. Tactics. Industry tactics. Industry tactics. I'm Friendly Rich and delighted to be here with you again. Episode number 95 with Dr. Catherine Ladano. The brilliant. She wears four hats and we'll learn all about them in this episode. Getting the job done out in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Uh, We talk about underdog cities. And, you know, to an extent, underdog music. What a delight, what a delight. You'll learn a lot about one of the best instruments and greatest humans around. This is my talk, number 95. We cite episode 57, if you want to do a little pre-read. Jesse Stewart, our episode with Jesse Stewart, but this is my talk, episode number 95 of Industry Tactics with Dr. Catherine Ladano. Cue up the Egg Circus theme! Thanks. I was like, I'm like a couple minutes late. I love it. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. Nice microphone. Uh, what are you Thanks. using there? What is that microphone? Uh, it's a blue Yeti, but it's red. Beautiful. Beautiful. It matches your Merlot hair. Thanks. Yeah. Well done. Branding, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got to be color coordinated. Look at this in the background. We've got Merlot candles. Mm -hmm, What's mm -hmm. your favorite color? Let's begin the podcast. Oh, my favorite color is Merlot. It's it's well, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say red, but really, any shade of red is fine. Good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. Crazy yeah. times, but, uh, yep. you know, keep yep. insane and keep them busy. Good, good, good. Where, where do we find you this fine day? I'm in Kitchener. Okay. So I'm, uh, yeah, I, I am, uh, almost all the time at home working from home in okay. yeah, Kitchener, Ontario. All yeah. right. Okay. What's your level of, if you're listening to this podcast, industry tactics, and someone's jogging behind you and you're innocently don't have eyes behind your head what's your level of um discomfort if someone was to jog too close to you these days do you bark oh, at them? yeah I, I mean i don't think i would do anything other than get out of the way but yeah but i gotta be perfectly honest uh even before the pandemic i i, I didn't want people too close to me anyway so yeah, that would one. freak me out in in any scenario yeah good one good one good one thanks i'm not talking from experience because <laughs> i don't listen to my own podcast is all yeah yeah uh so well welcome and i you've been on my list i've wanted to speak with you a while now um thrilled to have you on and unpack kind of your musical story where you come from how you got to this point of dr Catherine ladano hmm. yeah um where do you want to begin yeah 
It's kind of a long convoluted story. So I'll try to, I'll try to focus on the more relevant points. Um, Lead the way, lead us through it. Yeah. Well, I guess like for me, um, my, my musical journey started when I was fairly young. Um, I was really interested in, in music and uh, my parents wouldn't let me take music lessons and they wouldn't let me have any uh, instruments because um, I, they had enrolled me in all kinds of things like dance lessons and skating lessons and swimming lessons and I never stuck with anything. So they just, th- they assumed that music would be the same. Okay. Um, they were wrong about that, but, Damn. but yeah, so I got it, I got into it fairly late, unfortunately, because of that. Um, late being like I was 12, which I don't know, I think oh, it's, come on. it's not late for some people, but Stop yeah, it. I guess I, I'm, com- yeah, That's good. I'm I comparing like, myself to like, love it. Yeah. those classically trained people. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. so. And where did you grow up, Catherine? I grew up in Kitchener. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I, and I'm back wow. here. That's yeah. exciting. I That's didn't exciting. always live here. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Very cool that, that you are led back to your hometown. I like the sound yeah, of that. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Um, so you get into it at 12 after making all the right decisions because we all know what we think of dance we all know what we think what else did you what else didn't stick uh well like anything (laughs) athletic like i just it was terrible at it and i still am so yeah good yeah exactly who needs it yeah 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 that's what i think think the problem was yeah yeah, the problem was I just hadn't uh, tried anything artistic or creative. If I, I had, I don't I think see. I would have stopped. So what did that feel like when you first got into, what was your foray into it? Uh, so I actually had a, a neighbor uh, across the street, uh, the Zobos. I don't know if anyone on your podcast knows Rob Zobo, the, the Toronto uh, musician, singer, songwriter. Yeah. Uh, but he was actually, uh, yeah, he was my neighbor across the street in, in Kitchener. And uh, oh, I was wow. good friends. Yeah. yeah Is there any relation world. to the singer Christina Zabo? I don't think so. No, no I don't y- think so. The soprano? No. Okay. 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 Keep going. No. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No worries. Um, anyway, so I went, I was good friends with Rob's uh, younger sister, Michelle, and I went, I was at their house all the time growing up and uh, they were all uh, into music. And uh, I started just playing around on Michelle's uh, piano and, uh-huh. uh, and then her, her mom, her mom and Rob's mom, uh, came across the street to talk to my mom and, and tell my mom, like, can you please <laughs> enroll her in music lessons? Because I think, like, she should be doing this. Um, oh, what she a should neat have, story. You know, wow. Yeah. How did, they, yes. how, did, how did they pick up on, was it just that you were, like, always gravitating towards the, the piano and, like, banging on it or, or what? Like, what was, what was that like? I think it's, uh, I think it was partly that, and it was partly, um, Michelle would, would, uh, just teach me stuff on piano. And I guess like I had no reference, but apparently I picked it up really quickly. Okay. Okay. Cool. And, uh, cool. so that, yeah, her mom thought that, that, uh, was noteworthy. So. Oh, yeah. awesome. And, uh, yeah. Unfortunately my mom listened and, uh, and mm. my parents enrolled me in, in music lessons. Yeah. Oh wow! And so, so right there in Kitchener, you were who? Who's your like some of your? You started with piano then. I did, yeah. Who yeah, are your I memorable only did teachers? A, any anyone uh, on the piano side? Yeah, on piano, not so much. Okay. Like I, I, I did. I wasn't really heavy into into piano. My first piano teacher, his name was Gary Mertz. Um, I haven't heard about him since, so I have no okay. idea where he is or it's what. It's funny he's doing. how you know the first and last name, though. It's like yeah. this, this <laughs> yeah. shit all sticks to you, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Let's cut then. Cut to you. You get it. Like we know where you land. For the spoiler alert for those listeners who don't, it's the bass clarinet. The king, forget about the organ being the king of musical instruments. The bass clarinet is the queen of musical instruments. It is the, it is the best instrument in the, uh, in the family of all instruments. Yeah, I agree with that. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so how does that happen? Yeah, so um, I, I always uh, wish I had this amazing story to tell when I'm asked this. And it's kind of like, it's just, it's so random. I love it's it. solely by chance. I love it. What is it? Is it someone just gave it to you? It's like, here, you're on this because we need one? No. Uh, so, uh, sort of. It's 
It's a variation on that. Uh, So I, uh, when I started high school, I took uh, high school music and was told um, you can't, you can't play a keyboard instrument because you know that you you have to choose something new. And, uh, and I wanted to play the saxophone. I wanted to play the, uh, the tenor saxophone and uh, they, they didn't have enough to go around. So my teacher gave me the bass clarinet as like, well, this is like the next closest thing. And I didn't want to play it because I wanted to play the saxophone. To me, like these kind of stories are too, um, too familiar. They're too like recurring to be, it's as if, all of our lives are these accidental, just like, oh, you know what? Fucking just do this. Mm-hmm. Like when they were giving out, it's almost as if like the, the equivalent of when they were giving out noses here, <laughs> Richard, you have a honker, you know, here, here, like just the giving out of instruments is just, it's so interesting how we find our instrument. Mm-hmm. It, 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 sometimes not even by this gravitation, but like, but you settle with it. So you, yeah. you're given at the age of what? In high school, you would have been what, 14, 15 at that point yeah. then? Yeah, about that, yeah. And here we are, Dr. Yeah. Catherine Ladano. <laughs> you ride that through right to the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> I didn't like it at first. And then like, it didn't take me long. I fell in love with it. And I just, I stopped playing keyboard and like, I can't play it today. I've lost Smart. everything I had. Smart choice. Yeah. What yeah. didn't you like about the, what is not to like about the bass clarinet? What turned you off of it at first? I think because initially I had no reference uh, with a wind instrument. So I found it hard at first, like just like getting over that hump that everyone has to get over. Like, it's like, I can't play the high notes and I'm squeaking all the time. And it was, it was just kind of learning the fundamentals. And I was initially um, just frustrated with that, but like, I'm talking, this was a period of only like a couple weeks and then I got over it. Okay. Um, And okay. So, it's such a cool instrument. I don't even know what that would be like to to have that experience at that age. Um, did you did you ever did you ever have to start with clarinet and then migrate to bass clarinet, or have you always just been where you are in this register? Yeah, it, it's um, basically what you said is the norm. Uh, most people start on clarinet and then they, they okay. move to bass clarinet later. But uh, but that that was not the case for me. So I Bonus. started on bass clarinet yeah. and um, wow. I own a clarinet and mm-hmm. I have played it before, but it, it was something I picked up later. And um, by the time I picked it up, like I wasn't really... I wasn't really into it. Like Mm -hmm. I kept being told, you know, Oh, if you want a career, you know, you gotta be able to play the clarinet and you have to double and you have to view this as a doubling instrument. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to, like, I I love this instrument. I only want to play this instrument. So I've always viewed the um, soprano clarinet, like almost with a little bit of contempt. Like I just, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Love it. That's the quote, by the way, that's the, that's the moment that we'll put up on um, (laughs) as the promotion for this podcast yeah All man right. i mean the bass clarinet is where it's at i don't know what did it feel like to have that kind of um resonance at that age just like on your like on your soul like having that bass clarinet sound like just at that high school age everything you're you know what i mean yeah. like you're you're a growing mind, like the whole thing is like, like physically, mentally, the whole thing. Like what, what is it to have a bass clarinet at the, in grade nine? Are you in grade nine at this point? I was in grade 10. Good for yeah. you. What a yeah. lucky, what a journey. So who, yeah. What was that like? And who do we have to thank for it? Who's the teacher that just gave it to you and is like, here, have a life. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the teacher was, uh, was Michelle Bergauer. I at, love it. Uh, you got first names, yeah. last names going on. Yeah. Yeah. Good, great. Um, what a brain. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, I think, I, I don't think I, um, I didn't appreciate, you know, the, uh, amazingness of the bass clarinet initially. Like, I think oh. it was just like, I was new to wind instruments and I was kind of new to this world. And I kind of just gradually, I would say like by the end of the first year, I was like, no, wait a minute. Like this instrument is way cooler than all the other ones in this orchestra. Okay. Speaking of Merlot, I like talking about Carlo Rossi wine, but I'd rather be drinking it. Let's listen to the bass clarinet played by none other than Dr. Catherine Ladano. We're going to set up uh, Outcry. 
from her latest recording, Unmasked. This is Catherine Ladano. piece that is outcry so you you as i said you ride it right into the end zone this uh they, they gave it to you and you haven't stopped so was yeah. what is that journey like from grade 10 all the way through to phd and now you're a doctor uh, of performance on the instrument what what has this journey been like i want to hear about hiccups along the way did you ever fall out of love with the instrument Let's hear the rest of the story. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, also, kind of in, in answer to what you were asking me before, like that sort of like that aha moment with uh -huh. the instrument. Uh -huh. I, I don't think I truly got to that point until 
I was in university. Like I knew I loved the instrument and I knew I wanted to play it, but it wasn't until I got to university and started playing like this really weird music that I was like, okay, no, this is the best thing ever. Because in high school, like you're just playing wind band music and like the bass clarinet and like the bass clarinet line is just like bum, bum, bum. Like that's all you're doing. So you don't, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it sounds cool, but you don't really have any idea of what the possibilities are. Um, So for me, I went to uh, University of Waterloo Mm -hmm. and I studied, it was one of the only places in all of Canada Mm -hmm. that would allow me to, to uh, study bass clarinet without studying clarinet. That was like unheard of at that time. Like no schools would allow it. And um, yeah, much to my dismay, it's still very much the case. Like there's still, um, there's only a few schools that will let you do it, which is absurd to me, but that's the way it is. Yeah. It's puzzling. Um, I would, I would not have assumed that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's slowly changing, too slowly in my opinion. But um, once I got to university and, and uh, started in a music program, I started, uh, you know, because it's bass clarinet, it's a contemporary in- instrument. So yeah. um, I didn't play classical music because uh, the instrument wasn't around in, you know, the Baroque era and the classical era. What, like it's, it's part, fairly part new. Part of my ignorance, how new is it? Uh, so it was developed kind of more in the mid 1800s. Uh, but, uh, it wasn't really like in, and even then it would be, you'd hear it like sometimes in the back of an orchestra. Um, you know, like probably the, the first famous line for bass clarinet would be, uh, the Nutcracker Suite by Tchaikovsky. There's like this really famous bass clarinet part. But, um, but other than that, it was, it was like just used occasionally and and there was no solo music no one composed solo music for it until like i think the first piece was like the 1930s which is um you know pretty new yeah and even then like the bulk of the pieces are like 1970s and on so it's it's very new compared to you know most of the instruments we associate with like music study um so yeah so so what Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that's really neat. So so who who blew your mind when you went to university? Some of the weirdo music that you started that you were allu- alluding to. Yeah, well, uh, one of the first artists I um was told about was uh, was Lori Friedman. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and I went on to study with with Lori I saw later. That. I saw that. Yeah. What a what a treat that is. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, because she was like, she was basically my idol as soon as I discovered her music. So being wow. able to work with her years later was uh, was amazing, like life altering. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, but she was she was one of them for sure. And then um, you know, just everything I did in university was this like very, very new contemporary um, Canadian music. So it also gave me an appreciation for like contemporary Canadian uh, compositions and and learning that oh like. I can play music by people that aren't dead, you know, like it's just something that you don't think about when you're, when you're that age. So it was that, it was like getting into this really hardcore new music, extended techniques, all this weird stuff like that. That was the moment where it just started to blow my mind. Well, you really hear that in that piece of yours that we played outcry. Um, Do you want to, can you talk a little bit about that piece? Yeah, yeah. So Outcry is, um, that's from uh, my latest album. It's actually, it's not called Unmasked. It's called Masked. And, uh, oh, pardon me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, it was what released. What is the unsilent? I guess so. Yeah, the un is silent. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, okay. So Masked. Um, it's called Mast, yeah. I released it uh, almost a year ago, not quite a year ago. And um, basically with that album, yeah. my intention was I, I wanted to create a, a solo album that was 100% my own music. So everything on the album is improvised, actually. Um, none of it's even composed. So okay. uh, I just went into the studio for a couple days and just like improvised like crazy um, and then uh, picked my favorite pieces and they made their way onto the album. So with Outcry, that's one where I'm, I'm using a lot of um, aggressive uh, multiphonic sounds, yeah. which is if, if, uh, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's the creation of more than one pitch at the same time, which uh, is a normal thing if you play guitar or piano, but uh, for a wind instrument like bass clarinet, like traditionally we, we can't do that. So you have to manipulate the instrument in, in different ways to kind of get those extra pitches to come out. Wow. 
Do you have perfect pitch? I do not. No. Oh, that's no. too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> I don't like to make a big deal of it. Yeah, um, I wish I did, but I don't. It's not that big a deal to have it though. If if you have it, I it doesn't really help. Oh no. To be honest, if I'm being frank, um, I love it. I love that. Is that your normal um way of doing things, or was this a new? direction for you to go into the studio for what was it a day or two how long two days two days in the studio yeah to improvise and then select later is it was that a new way of getting it done for you i've done it that way uh once before so i have two solo albums um the first one i released uh she's about 10 years ago now Mm -hmm. and it it um it did have some improvised music but it was mostly um composed stuff so so my first album wasn't like this at all cool um however a few years ago in 2015 i i also have a duo called stealth which is um yeah it's a bass clarinet percussion duo with uh richard burroughs shout out to richard burroughs yeah yeah awesome player uh yeah so we when we recorded our album it's called listen um mm-hmm. that was the approach that we took so uh the only difference is that oh, uh, for that album yeah we t- we took five days in the studio mm-hmm. and instead of two and um, actually recorded a lot more material and just took a lot longer with it. But that was, that was the approach for that album. So it's, it's technically, technically my second time doing it this way. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a great approach. Um, Fun. And I would imagine doing that with a percussionist or any other musician would be, uh, is just a, um, a a nice way to collaborate, right? A different way to collaborate, I guess, than, than you may even be used to, I guess. Um, yeah. If I, if I might say that, um, the extended technique blows my mind. I, uh, I don't understand it. Is this something that you, how did you get into it? Like, how did, is this something like, how long did that take you to refine that, that, that extended technique? Yeah, I mean, it it took a long time. Uh, I was very lucky in that um, I kind of got my first exposure to this kind of stuff uh, doing my undergrad. Because again, like doing all that weird uh, new Canadian music, like sometimes extended techniques were written into the parts. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had the I had the rare cool. opportunity of being able to do a, a directed study uh, in my last year, where I just uh, explored the different extended techniques techniques and uh got to learn them and practice them which which as i've learned now because i because i teach in a music program i teach at wilford laurier university and uh the students there like i've had many of them tell me like how badly they want to learn this stuff and they don't get to learn it so um again at the time it didn't seem like that big a deal but i realize now like how impactful that was um and then after graduating i i moved out to calgary Mm -hmm. for a few years and did uh did a master's degree in performance there. And, and I would say it was probably there where then I kind of like refined okay. the extended techniques and just went further with it. It seems, it seems interesting to me that you, that, that statement that um, a lot of students currently at, at Laurier want to learn that extended technique, but, but what did you say? It's not really, it's, is it not part of the curriculum or no that's right it's it's, it's not um hmm. i mean i do think things are changing there there's no doubt um but it's the history of Laurie is it's it's very much classical like yeah. it's very much the classical world and and again things are changing but traditionally okay. um most of the teachers there tended to be symphony players yeah and symphonies don't play a lot of new music so like yeah. the, these teachers like they weren't doing extended techniques so they weren't going to teach them got it got it um Makes and there's a, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of rules in place where where even though I was there and yeah. I was willing to teach it, it's like well, I was I was part time faculty, so they don't they don't like typically let us do directed studies. I and, love and it. So thing. you're sneaking in the yeah. like, the ugly <laughs> the uglier sounds that the instrument can make. It's like, hey, don't tell yeah. anyone. I'm going to show you how to really squeeze out some yeah. of the ugliest notes on the instrument. That's right. You didn't learn it here. <laughs> like, like I love yeah. how subversive that that sounds to me. Like it's like, mm-hmm. well, good for you. You're doing the good work, right? I mean, that <laughs> is uh, as many ugly notes as we can get into it. We should be celebrating that uh, quietly. Yeah. You didn't hear it here. So, so, <laughs> um, 
I mean, you know, it's interesting to me. You are. It is a. It is a. Mer, it is a Merlot. That's the theme we dis, we discussed it earlier. It's like a fine wine when it comes to being so um, into the exploration and the weird stuff, right? The new music, yeah. the uglier notes. Um, how important is that journey for you to get to the point where it's all normalized and it's just accepted as part of your vocabulary for creating music? And it's not just this ugly, weird shit that should just be dismissed. It's not the real music, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's an important journey and it, it takes some time. Like, I, I would say that, that kind of a lot of it for me was um, like, even though my formal training was, was all with uh, composed music, like I got into improvised music when I was um, out in Calgary is when I first started improvising. And honestly, doing that type of practice, like, really helped me kind of bridge this gap. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it actually did a lot of things for me because I found that improvising was was almost like a better way to to learn technique on my instrument. You know, like doing all those uh, traditional technical studies and stuff and having yeah. your teacher tell you, you know, like, oh, well, you need to adjust this and you do that. And it's like, okay, it kind of works and it doesn't really fall into place for you. Once I kind of took control of all of that mm-hmm. and and just improvised and just experimented without having to, you know, read something on a page and follow it. Like uh, it, to me, it took me to the, the next level and it made everything better in my plane. Um, I mm. was a better technical player. I, I heard things a lot better and then uh, tying into the extended techniques. I think I, I was able to control them better. I was able to understand them better and um, and sort of play around with them musically and, and use them in... Um, ways that I think made musical sense so that it doesn't just sound like, Oh, it's just a whole bunch of random sounds and and whatever. It's just yucky, but no, like you can take those sounds and you can do like some really creative and interesting things and create entire pieces out of just using extended techniques, which was also, it's a focus of, of, probably most of the music on the masked album too is using different techniques and, and uh, creating, you know, complete pieces out of them. So, Dare I say it got more fun when you when you unlocked that Super Mario Brothers level? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like it changed everything for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. It really is. Um when do you when do you bring in your you seem to wear many hats in your musical career? Yeah. Um so when when do you become artistic director of N- Numis? Yeah, so that was, um, um, when was that? That was 2014. So I've been doing that for about six years now. Okay, okay. Yeah. And and what have some of your goals or what have you learned from seeing the music industry from that perspective versus as a player? Yeah, that's been amazing um, because, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, I hadn't really thought too much about artistic direction and kind of going in that uh, direction. Numis is, uh, it's kind of a, a staple of the new music scene here in Kitchener-Waterloo. So like, so I grew up knowing about it and going to those concerts and so forth. And uh, for me, it just kind of became a, you know, I got involved as a board member and then I, you know, I started I working for Numis and then, um, you know, eventually I started uh, programming for, for Numis and I've been there ever since. But, but yeah, that um, I, I honestly consider it like it's one of the best jobs in the world because like, well, it's extremely stressful, you know, yeah. like when you're yeah. trying to raise funds and all this stuff. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like that's that's the, the worst part of it. But, but being able to, um, you know, bring in artists, you know, that you really admire and that you're inspired by, uh, that, you know, you think, you know, my community really needs to hear this person or this, this band and bring them in and, and, you know, hear how, how the local community is affected by that and impacted by it. Like it's, wow. it's amazing. And, um, it is. yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. And, and it's led to other opportunities for me too. Cause you know, I find, uh, you know, there's people that have come through that then, you know, I end up collaborating with them, you know, at some point down the road and, and, uh, you know, it's been really fruitful in, in that way. So yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I don't think, 
uh, I used to think that I wanted to be like a full-time performer and do nothing else. But, but yeah. now that I, I do, you know, several different things, cause yeah. for me, it's kind of, yeah. I guess, four things. Like it's the performing, the artistic direction, uh, the teaching at Laurier yeah. Yeah. and, um, and academia too. Uh, right. you know, I, I don't want to let any of them go, you know, like hey. enjoy those, those four worlds. Yeah. It, isn't that lovely? I, you are, that is great. So any listeners who are, you know, thinking um, it's one hat and some, some careers go that way uh, and good yeah. for you and, and fuck off, you know, but, <laughs> and, and, but no, 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 it's, it's, I think it's, it's way more exciting to have this diversity in it changing. It's like, it's like variations on creativity, right? Cause the creativity yeah. that you're exercising as an artistic director versus an academic versus a performer Versus what was the other one? Hang on. I've got it. I've got it. Teacher, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. those four hats are all like rich and uh, they're beautiful wormholes. And what I mm -hmm. love about it, isn't music great? I don't know if, you know, I don't know if um, woodwork even, or what, uh, accounting, any other, I keep going back to this because I don't know the other fields, but like, Music is beautiful in that what you just uh, kind of unpacked there, the idea of you as artistic director, then forming these little like offshoots of like, and then I get to collaborate with, or like other worlds kind of, or roots kind of, I, I think stem from a lot of these relationships that you build over the years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, something about that really, I've always loved that about music. It feels like it's like community building at the end of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, have you seen, you know, the Kitchener-Waterloo community grow or learn or expand in ways that you couldn't have predicted uh, in your role as artistic director of Numis through some of the programming that you've brought forward? Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, I think the way that it's uh, the community's being affected the most is actually um, how uh we're giving opportunities to emerging artists and and that was sort of like a that was a huge uh thing for me when i took over as artistic director because i i always kind of felt that these larger music organizations like they're they're great at, at hiring these big names and mm -hmm. and you know bringing all these people in and that's great like numis does that too i do yeah. that too of course yeah. it's important yeah um but at the same time it it felt like and I think this was partially because, you know, I was uh, teaching at Laurie, like I, I have access to all these young creative musicians and sure. I see that's, like how incredible they are. That's exciting because now you're, you're like, you're drawing a bit of a pipeline where it's like, yeah, I'm teaching yeah. this younger generation of musicians. It's feeding yeah. into a viable scene that I'm helping create as an artistic yeah. director and performer. Um, okay. So, so what, what, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyways, I, I, I wanted to make that connection where, you know, they, they have all these great ideas and yet like they don't know where to start with their careers. Like they want to yeah. they want to play in a series like Numis, you know, like they, yeah. they, they want to have their pieces played or whatever. And like right. they can't get in the door. I mean, not with most organizations like of that size. Yeah, right. Um, right. How exciting yeah, is that to, to give someone that gift of an opportunity of, I believe in your music. I believe in your voice. I believe in what you're doing. Like that's one of the most empowering things you can do is just open a door for a young musician. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's incredible. And it's, it, it's honestly, I think it, it's the thing that I enjoy the most about Numis. Like, yeah, it's great when I get to meet artists and collaborate and see some of my favorite bands live and stuff. That's great. But uh, it's not as rewarding as, as when, um, you mm. know, I see a young artist who's, who's never, you know, had a performance outside of their school before get to show our audiences like what they're doing and, and blow people away. Like, I think a lot of our audiences are just, really surprised that at some of the ideas these students have and, yeah. and the quality and like how complete everything is. And, um, mm. and then the, the best thing too, in addition to that is, is then I've seen a lot of these artists, like they get their start doing a show with Numis. And then like, I hear that they've released an album or they've done a tour and, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. there was one, uh, there was one, uh, the student,
student, her name was uh, Grace Scheel, and she won our uh, Emerging Curator Contest a few years ago. And, and she, like, did this Battle of the Bands thing for uh, the Toronto International Film Festival and, oh, wow. and, like, won an award for creating a movie soundtrack for a short film. Like, just that kind of stuff is, is amazing. And uh, I like to think that we give them the platform and the confidence to kind of just start and then you know yep. who knows where they go from there but but it is turning into like real opportunities and real career building and and that to me is like it's just amazing it's my favorite part um what are you what are some of your goals socially as a an artistic director like wh- how do you want to move the meter uh, what statements do you want to make through the programming that you've you you've you are are forging ahead with as you look forward? I, and I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you, clearly you've been doing that already. I just think, I, um, at, at what's on your mind these days are, are, as an artistic director? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously that's part of it is the uh, the embracing uh, emerging artists and giving them a platform. I think also just uh, for me, it's also been a priority to just kind of like widen um, the parameters of, of what we think new music and contemporary music is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, for, for a lot of um, organizations and, and presenters, and, and I don't want to like bash them, like they're, they're all cr- uh, presenting amazing stuff. Um, but I think that sometimes like our definition of what new music is, it, it, or what new music is can be very narrow yeah, yeah, yeah. and not yeah. necessarily like that relevant to today in today's yeah. world. So I think, um, you know, it, it needs to be extended to include like not just Western music, but like other um, musical traditions as well. Um, and, you know, we don't need to, to always be, you know, presenting white male composers and white male musicians and stuff, you know, like, so Thank a you. big priority yeah. for me too has been, um, more, more women involved, um, and specifically like programming more women composers. And I feel weird just saying that cause I, I don't yeah. feel like it, it, it shouldn't need to be said yeah. today, yeah. but it's, it's, it really still is a problem. Like they're not getting, um, programmed as much as, as men. So, so that would be, yeah. um, you know, different things and obviously more, more, ethnic diversity cultural diversity like it's it's all um part of the same world so we need to we need to just uh embrace like a wider definition of what new music is right on i i applaud all that you're doing um i think sometimes it does need to be continued to be said and some of those struggles on your end in presenting such outlandish things outlandish voices and concepts um you feel like you have city support uh yeah i don't know just what what are some of the struggles the challenges the day-to-day struggles yeah i mean there there are a lot of them or the year, <laughs> Not gonna the, lie year to year, the year to year struggles maybe yeah 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 and it i think um i struggle a bit as as an artistic director because I think that uh, you have to keep in mind too, like this is, uh, this is an organization that's been in existence for 35 years. Yeah, I wasn't this, aware. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. that it was that uh, rich. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the sixth artistic director. So, so you're talking like six very different personalities, very different visions. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I kind of followed an artistic director that, um, I think was much more about bringing audiences in and, and presenting music that uh, yeah, nice. was maybe more, more appealing to right. a larger audience. Right. And it, and it worked like, like our audience really, really grew. I yeah. bet it did. Right. The signs of success. Yeah. Bums yeah. And, and seats is the only way, yeah. form of measurement, right? It's like, it's like yeah. judging an artist based on their Instagram uh, followers. Yeah. yeah exactly. But anyway, yeah. 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 So following that was hard because uh, like all of my, uh, most of my ideas for programming you know, we're probably a little bit more challenging. Mm. And uh, I think those, those big audiences that, that were brought in, like they, they were not interested in my programming (laughs) and um, like our audience uh, definitely dropped off when when I took over. I (laughs) just continue to applaud you like that. It's, it's the more daring path perhaps, but it's, 
it's the more meaningful path, I would argue. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 you know, despite that, like I've never once thought, well, okay, I better change my programming and Good bring in you. you know something people are going to love. Like it, that's not why I'm here. Hmm. Um, so that that's probably been the number one challenge. And and sometimes the other thing is that. Um, I've chosen with my programming to, uh, I don't program exclusively improvised music, but I've given it a much larger platform than okay. um, it had before with the organization. And I know that there's a lot of um, negative connotation that comes along with that. Like people that aren't part of that world yeah. um, and that, that prefer traditional new music, they're like, oh, improvise. Like that's just going to sound like garbage. So I don't want to go to that show. And, and that's been a struggle too. Cause as soon as they see that word, I, I, I suspect that they just, they don't want to go to the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is a shame because uh, like Jesse Stewart was once the artistic director of Numis and, uh, and I loved his programming cause he was the, he was the first one to do that. And, he brought in improv and I know it affected his audiences as well, but um, gentle listeners go back and listen to the industry tactics interview with Jesse Stewart. That was a fond uh, discussion with Jesse. Please continue Catherine. This is wonderful. And it's, yeah. it's an uphill climb. It is an yeah, uphill yeah. climb. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I I've tried to um, like I've been very much inspired by by Jesse and and his programming and, and I've uh, done you know some similar mm-hmm. we've had some similar ideas in our programming mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's tough like it's tough to get an audience on board and then sometimes you know you program something that has a wider appeal like um, we presented Colin Stetson a few years ago and and you know that obviously had a huge crowd um, yeah. but yeah. those people didn't go to the next show so it's yeah. Um, yeah. like it's really hard to get them yeah. Um, to to stay to stay and give it a chance and and those that you know that have put the time in and, and you know are a little more open minded um, you know I think have really gotten a lot out of it and and you know I'm not expecting if someone goes to every concert in a season I'm not expecting yeah. them to love everything like yeah. not not yeah. at all to dialogue but really, right yeah 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 I'd really like to think that even the concerts that they don't particularly like that there's you know something there that they yeah. can get out of you know maybe some kind of new experience or sound that they've never heard before even mm-hmm. if they don't particularly like it I love I love everything you're saying it's it's the you're an ambassador you're like a you're clearly in it for life um you're you're addicted to music it's wonderful you know uh you're into broccoli you know it's it's uh <laughs> it's commendable for sure um i mean and you know funding bodies all of that right it's like you're constantly advocating for the stuff that if you know the underdogs i think right in yeah. in a lesser way to put it but i i don't know um yeah the so special that you 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 end up back in your hometown and what is that like just feeding the cultural you know fabric of the place you grew up in what is that like for you now it's it's really wonderful and um to be honest i i didn't uh it's not a place i expected to be um because i did like i i lived outside of the area for quite a while like, mm-hmm. and, and in much bigger cities i lived in calgary for a while i lived in montreal for a while in mm-hmm. toronto for a while uh but then yeah coming back was uh i was just in a different place in my life mm-hmm. and um you know, had a, a whole new set of, of skills at my disposal. So, um, I, yeah, actually, as soon as I got back right away, I started, um, like an improv organization, um, and a little mini concert series because there was nothing in this area at that yeah. time, yeah. um, yeah. supporting improvised music. There'd been a little bit like, um, like Nick Storing lived here for a while and, mm-hmm. um, he was trying some things and Kyle Brenders, uh, went yeah. to school here too, and he was trying some things, but nothing really picked up. So I, uh, I kind of started with that, and you know, got involved in Numis shortly after, and Laurier, all at the kind of all at the same time. Yeah. And um, and yeah, have, it's it seems to have really embraced you. Um, and yeah, do you do you like that? The fact that when you said earlier that like there wasn't a lot going on, so do you almost like that clean slate? It's like we can only go f- up from here. Yeah, yeah, I did really like that. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, it really it really felt um 
yeah, really felt that I was like creating something special and, and, you know, doing, doing something worthwhile in the community that was, you know, impacting people. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I, I often feel that sometimes uh, larger cities like a city like Toronto might suffer from just, uh, just too, too, too much to eat, you know? And, and, and so, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's, for everybody, it's a little different, but I, I, I like that. It kind of does feel like presenting underdog music in an underdog city is like yeah. double whammy on, on, uh, on, on impact and just the meaning in terms of what you're doing, you know? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And heroic, and, and as I said earlier, an uphill climb, like it is e- equally challenging, I think double challenge too, right, to yeah. sustain it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the other things about this, this community that uh, I think a, a lot of people know that, that uh, Kitchener Waterloo is kind of turned into a, like a tech hub. That's, that's oh, kind yeah. of our, our thing now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think uh, there's this, this assumption that like, oh, wouldn't it make sense if like all these uh, tech companies, they're all about innovation, like yeah. work with the music presenters yeah. and, and like, doesn't it make sense that music innovation goes hand in hand with tech innovation? And right. that's something that, you know, everyone thinks should happen but yeah. it doesn't happen oh fuck and i know that's yeah the that's perimeter been a real institute, challenge too. man the perimeter institute yeah. it seems like it's ripe for i mean i, I i've seen some great music presented there it seems like yep. they're open to it no the, this 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 intersection of innovation tech and music uh, yes and no. Like per- perimeter historically has been really great, and yeah. and there was um there was a number of years there where they they hired uh, Peter Hatch, yeah. who's the founder of Numis, and um, he huh. did their programming for a few years, and like it yeah. was out of this years. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was so amazing, and um and then it stopped, and I don't know why it stopped, but hmm. it did, and um that was kind of heartbreaking because it was like it was it was amazing, like it was it was the best music going on, and and Fuck. you know people. People came from way beyond Kate you to go to that stuff. I'm going to hit you with a theory, though, that it went away as he may have, uh, like, stopped. I think a lot of this stuff is hinged on, and hence the importance of Dr. Catherine Ladano in the mix, because a lot of this stuff is just hinged on the vision of one or two strong individuals that that individual may go away or move on to something else. And the, the rug gets pulled under underneath from, from the whole thing. Right. So yeah. Hence why the work you're doing is so important, right? It's like building that kind of muscle back up again in a way. Yeah. Yeah. True. true. I don't like it. I don't like, I don't like my theory that it is hinged on a few, uh, you know, strong minded, persistent individuals like yourself. But unfortunately, I think I'm right. Yeah, I think <laughs> like you are I, too. It's yeah. like I've seen it way, way too many times over the years, right? And so yep. be it. Like that's how the beauty, I think, kind of foments, right? But um, let's get into it. We're 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 nearing the end of our of our hour together. I wonder if you can talk about your this last chapter of of a, your doctoral work. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I love to talk about that. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, so in the midst of doing all this other stuff, I also went back to school and um, I went to York University to do a, uh, a doctorate. Uh, I chose York University because um, he's retired now, but at that time, uh, Casey Sokol was was teaching there and uh, was teaching improvisation. And, and wow. I, uh, I desperately wanted to work with Casey. And uh, I'm really glad that I did because he's yeah. been... Um, like such a huge influence on me in many different ways. Um, you know, musically, academically, mm-hmm. uh, I incorporate his, his, uh, ideas in terms of teaching improvisation mm-hmm. all the time. Like I've, I've uh, gotten so many great hey, ideas. Wh- from wh- him. What are some of the, the Cole's notes that you can share with our listeners? Like what are some of your biggest takeaways from case working with Casey Sokol? Uh, honestly, the the biggest one would be how he uses improvisation to teach uh, just general musical skills and how he's made it relevant to everyone so that it's like not this 
niche skill that like only certain people are wanna, going to want to do, but he makes it relevant across the board for, you know, learning rhythm and learning musicianship skills and, and learning to count properly and, you know, uh, better, yeah. better sense of pitch, like all that is those integrations. Um, I don't know anyone else that does it quite like he has. You're right. Cause when I think of education, often I think of music education, often I think of like they're almost like two streams, eh? It's like, yeah, and and it's and it's not taken as seriously for some reason, right? There, this mm-hmm. notion yep. of improvisation as just a, I don't know, it, it's kind, of, it's it's it, yeah, that that's cool to think that they're blended, yeah, in that, yeah. that approach. Oh, great, great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I learned a lot of stuff like that about him and um, or about his uh, his teaching, the way he approached it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of my time there, like I spent a lot of time uh, visiting Casey's classes and learning that way. And then over time, um, he and I together uh, kind of came up with this concept for my thesis because I I knew I wanted to research something to do with improvisation, but mm-hmm. I had a really hard time kind of narrowing in on what it was. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this concept based on um, my own experiences as as a performer, but also um, watching and observing my students, mm-hmm. this idea that um, when we perform as improvisers, it's almost as if we uh, we can sometimes have the ability of taking on another uh, persona. And, you know, mm-hmm. I thought of it as, as, as myself where, you know, if I'm in a social situation, like I'm probably going to be pretty quiet, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to really hear a whole lot out of me, but when I have my instrument, like something changes and, and suddenly like I have a different level of comfort and confidence and, um, you know, I can be very aggressive in a way that I would never be socially. Right. And I noticed this happening with my students too, where I would see, you know, one student at the back of the class that like never, never mm-hmm. wants to volunteer, mm-hmm. never wants to be the first person to play. But man, when they do play, you're like, wow, like who is, who is that? Like, you just don't see that side of them in wow. any other context. Wow. So yeah, I wanted to kind of That's like, heavy. what was, what was that? Yeah. And That's I wanted so to- heavy. Right. It's like, it's like different perspectives of a, of a human shown, shown through their, their musical side versus their, you know, more, more, uh, uh, I don't know. What's the word? Uh, just conventional kind of social norms that you might, yeah, you might be quiet without that. It's like your superpower. You get that bass clarinet and all of a sudden there's a whole other, other side of you that we didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. Holy shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from my experiences teaching, like I noticed that 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 wasn't unique to me. Like that was yeah. that was a yeah. thing I was seeing with yeah. other people. Oh. And uh yeah, and I wanted to figure out like what what is, what is that? What what is that phenomenon? And and does it only happen to like certain kinds of people or is it more universal um hmm. so basically what what i did was um i formulated that idea in into the the um sort of the concept of masking and wearing a mask and that's actually where the title of my album comes from and uh, and the so the thesis is basically proposing that when we improvise mm. our instruments are like a mask it's like wearing a mask and the instrument mm. then functions in the same way so it gives you a different level of confidence it allows you to act differently than mm-hmm. you would if you weren't wearing the mask so okay. in some ways it, it conceals you like it can conceal your insecurities yeah but in other ways like it it actually reveals more of yourself it's, you're it, able to it is yeah bat, bat, batman kind of like like, you know, like the superhero concept. This is exciting. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. the not the pandemic mask. We're talking <laughs> yeah. we're talking superhero mask here. Um yeah. neat O. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it led into your album. Like this is all a yeah. theme that kind of all fits together for you, masked. Yeah, so the, um, uh, the I finished the dissertation uh, about two years ago. It was in 2018. Okay. And uh, I had uh, kind of imagined that I would uh, make an album that would sort of be a companion piece to that's the research. Neat. That's neat. And yeah, so wow. Wow. so that's why I called it Mast. And, and uh, without going into a whole ton of detail, like one of the things I did in my study was, oh, I had a whole bunch of participants, mm-hmm. young musicians, mm-hmm. and I would make them do different things. And, and 
and then like see how they responded to them and see how they felt about them. And so one of the things was like, I put them all in a dark room and made them improvise. And then they would, they would see, let me know like how that, how that felt. And I made them at different points, like wear a physical mask. Oh yeah. Okay. And I would make them like use just their voices to, uh, to improvise with. And, and I would, so I had all these different parameters. Mm -hmm. And so I did the same thing for me when I created the album. So some of the tracks, like oh. I actually have a blindfold on, so I can't yeah. see anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I wore a mask some of the time. And uh, wow. for one of the tracks, I just use um, the sound of my my breath. I just use different types of breathing to create a piece of music, you know, rather than playing a note. So um, I took concepts of the of the album and um, and then you know created created uh, yeah this work out of it. That's really neat. It's really neat that there's a an accompanying recording along with yeah. the dissertation. It sounds really rich. What you've been up to? Thank you. Um, where where do you go from here? What do what the next few years yeah. look like? Well, uh, now I'm trying to uh, get my research out there a bit more. So I just uh, finished the final edits on, a, um, on an article. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be an article released in a, uh, a journal in the UK that, that's kind of about the, um, it's like the therapeutic benefits of, of what I discovered in my research. Yep. Um, it's funny because as you were saying that about like it unlocking a, certain side of you it, it, it in a way like it it falls into what i've said over years with the and 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 so many I, I think like anyone in the music education game is all all often said it provides this concept of this backbone this self-esteem this ability to yeah really you know bring out your voice your build your confidence all that all that kind of horse shit that you hear along the lines of like yeah. why music education is 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 good for you right um yeah you're getting into therapeutic you're you're saying that it's a it's a form and and for sure it is right i mean mm -hmm. yeah oh that's that's exciting so you're pu you're publishing further you're 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 going along the, you're developing that research even more than it sounds like yep yeah i am wow. and um uh my hope is actually i just don't have the time for it right now but mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. some point down the, the line i i want to write a book as well and and kind of um turn what I discovered in my research into like sort of like a more accessible uh, reading book that would be relevant wow. to like all types of musicians, whether we improvise yeah. or, or not, or even non-musicians, I think still uh, the concepts are relevant. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I want to do. And then uh, for now, continue with the artistic direction and um, yeah. te I'm teaching improvisation at Laurier and I'm loving it. The so four, I'm going to keep hats. that. The four hats. That's right. Yeah, I think just continue with the four hats and and <laughs> just just keep growing in them is is really all I want to do right now. Right on. Well, I gotta tell you, uh, you showed up right on time, and boy, did you show up! So thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, let's end our journey with you today uh, with uh, contentious. Do you want to set this up for our gentle listeners? Sure. Yeah. Contentious is, uh, it's actually probably my favorite, uh, track on the new album and, um, uh, definitely the most aggressive. So I think the title kind of, uh, speaks yeah. for itself, but it was kind of just me going all out on well, this, on this track. Thank you. We're going to go all out with Catherine Ladano and people can learn more about your music and your career at Catherine with a Y Ladano, L-A-D-A-N-O.com. Right. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Catherine. Take care of yourself. All Here's right. Thanks so much for having me. Contentious from her re latest recording, Masked.
How much fun was that? That was contentious from Dr. Catherine Ladano's latest recording, Masked. Thank you again for making time for us, Catherine. That was exciting. Actually, if you want to learn more about Catherine's work, go to catherineladano.com. And please subscribe to the podcast, Industry Tactics. Check out our back catalog, as we mentioned. Good to go. Good pivot from here. If you if you missed that episode, episode 57 with none other than Jesse Stewart, that would be a good little uh, deep dive. Connect the dots. This is why we're doing this podcast. And to, to poke fun at the industry, of course. Um, the uphill climb, indeed. I hope you're all safe and well. We'll come together again in two weeks where um, I'm thrilled to interview the New Orleanian artist Bernard Pierce. A delight to chat with Bernard. So join us again. Tweet us at Industry Tactics. Send us a message. We're on Facebook as well or just go to FriendlyRich.com. Find me and let me know how you're doing, how you're enjoying these talks. Really appreciate the feedback we're getting lately. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye for now.